So we're continuing our Sermon on the Mount series this morning, and our text this morning is about false teachers and false followers. We were talking in our staff meeting earlier this week with Pastor Greg and Jonathan and I that it can be a little bit hard to preach and to teach passages about false teachers. But one of our commitments here as pastors and as a church is that we wrestle with the whole Word of God, not just the parts we like, not just the easy parts, but the hard parts, the parts that challenge us. All of the Bible speaks to us with God's power, with God's Word. So let's read today Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is God's holy and infallible word for us today. I'm going to talk about this text in five parts. We're going to talk about wisdom, watching out, words, works, and worship. Wisdom, watching out, words, works, and worship. And that'll hopefully make sense as we go along. So first... Wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom shows us what really matters. When we think about false teachers, when we think about examining ourselves to see if we're false followers of Jesus or not, there's two unproductive extremes we can go to. On the one hand, we can be too critical. We can get all caught up in theological fine-tuning and getting absolutely everything lined up just right And if we do that, we can get so focused on heresy hunting that we spend all our energy on trivia. I've heard, and you've probably heard too, preachers or teachers who ride their favorite hobby horses into the dust. They spend all their time attacking all their opponents about the tiniest things, and somehow all their spiritual energy doesn't go to promoting the gospel. So that's one extreme we want to avoid. But there's another extreme, and it's probably the one that we need to worry about more today, and that's the situation where we just say, nothing really matters. Everything is okay. Believe what you like. Teach what you like. The important thing is that we just get along. And you hear increasingly more and more of that, I think, in our biblical and theological discussions these days. We can't agree, so let's just get along. Let's forget about the issues. Let's not worry about truth and falsehood. Let's just get along. And on some issues, that's okay. And on some issues, it's not. There are some things that wise Christians will disagree does not matter enough that we need to fight about right here and now. But there are some things that we have to hold on to and that we do have to fight about if they're threatened. 
There are things that make life or death differences in what we believe and in how we live. The Apostles' Creed, for example, gives us some basic things there. God the Father, he created the world. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again to save us. The Holy Spirit lives in God's people and gives us eternal life. Those sorts of things are worth living and dying for. But there's some other things that we can be wise about and say this particular thing doesn't matter as much. We as pastors and as a church don't want to get all caught up in fighting every single theological battle. But we do want to be clear about what's true and what's false, what's right and what's wrong. What we really want to do is follow Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus, there are some things that we need to be discerning about. We need to be able to pick out who false teachers are and be able to discern if we're really following God or not. There are, unfortunately, a lot of false teachers out there. There always have been. The whole story of the Bible is shot through with false teachers, with people who weren't telling the truth about God. Jesus' time saw plenty of those people too, and they're still here today. So we need wisdom to know which battles to fight, but then we also need to watch out. We need to watch out for things that are false. So for our second point for today, we need to watch out what is true and what is false. Chuck Swindoll used to tell the story of a lady who had just graduated from a gourmet cooking course, and she decided to put her newfound skills to the test. So she put together a nice appetizer, invited a bunch of people over, and she put some gourmet cheeses with it, got some nice garnishings and some exotic spices, got just the right fancy crackers to go with it, put it all on really nice plates, and presented it with a flourish to all her guests. And the people loved it. They just loved it. They came back for seconds and thirds. The plates cleared off like that. And then as they were sitting down for the main course, she told the people what what the secret ingredient of that appetizer was. And the secret ingredient was dog food. Dog food. Seriously. Dog food. Now, I have no information on how the rest of the evening went, but I suspect that people were a little careful about the main course after she'd fed them dog food to begin with. Now, that trick, that trick is a lot like what false teachers do. They dress up false truths, they dress up untruths and half-truths to make them look great. Often, they're presented well, it's got all the right vibes, the garnishings look great, But if a teacher's teaching doesn't reflect the truth of the Bible, then it is just spiritual dog food, unfit for our consumption. And so Jesus tells us to watch out for false teachers and to recognize them by their fruit. In ancient Israel, if you saw a certain sort of bush from a distance, you might think it had good fruit on it. Its berries would look like grapes. But if you got close and actually looked at it, you could see that it was a thorn bush and you didn't want anything to do with it. And there was another sort of bush that if you looked at from a distance, you might think its flowers looked like the beginnings of figs. But then if you got closer and actually looked at it for a little while, you'd see that wasn't a bush that you wanted anything to do with. As followers of Jesus, we need to carefully examine the teachings that we hear. Whether it's here at church or on the radio or on your favorite podcast or anywhere, 
We need to take a good, hard look at the spiritual nourishment that's offered to us. History shows us that there is always, always a steady stream of false teachers. So we need to be always discerning of what we're listening to. But we need to make this personal too. It's good to be discerning about whether someone else out there is a false teacher. But it's even more important to be discerning about whether you are a false follower of Jesus. It would be a terrible thing to spend all kinds of time and energy figuring out who's telling the truth and who's lying and get all these people categorized correctly and never pay attention to the state of your own heart. It's far easier to point the finger at other people and never realize that you might be getting it wrong too. And so Jesus, in the second half of our passage for today, reminds us that not everyone who comes to him and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. The last few verses of the text that we read for today should worry us. They really should. It's frightening that someone would call Jesus, Lord, Lord, and not be welcome in the kingdom. It's confusing that someone could have done all these great works but not really belong to Jesus. This should scare us. This should concern us. And it should lead us to examine ourselves. Our hearts, all of our hearts, are deceptive. We're really good at fooling ourselves. It's hard for us to really, really know ourselves. We all have blind spots. We all have walls that we've built that keep us from seeing what is really going on in our hearts. Often we're like people who have tremendously bad breath and everyone else knows it, but we don't know it ourselves. And so we all of us need to have spiritual checkups. So this morning we'll be looking at how we can avoid false teachers and also some things for how we can avoid being false followers. And we'll start by talking about our words, our words and what they say about us. Do a teacher's words reflect the truth about Jesus or not? And do our own words show that we really belong to Jesus or not? Are we really speaking the truth or are we going back and forth between truth and falsehood? So when we're listening to teachers, we need to reflect on if what they're saying really matches up with the word of God. And whether it really takes the word of God and applies it effectively to the world. Now, there's a whole range of things that can go wrong here. But let me give you just a couple examples this morning. When I was younger, I used to sometimes go to a church where the pastor seemed to be stuck in condemnation mode. Everything was always doom and gloom and judgment and destruction. The rules, the rules, the rules. And everybody who went there knew they weren't good enough. Everybody knew that they always, always, always fell short. Everybody knew that. And when Jesus showed up in those sermons, it was only to shake his fist at us and tell us how we weren't living up and we weren't good enough. If you went to that church to hear the gospel, instead you got a guilt trip. But today, today I think we've swung to the opposite end of the spectrum. There's a lot of places you can go, a lot of teachers that you can listen to who are all happy clappy. Everything is good, only positive vibes allowed here. And so you walk in and everyone's excited 
things are great and only smiley faces are allowed and we're all happy, happy, happy. But if you show up there and you aren't happy, 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 often you're left out. If you show up at one of those places or you listen to one of those teachers and your life isn't together and things are not going right, then it turns out it's your fault. You should name it and claim it. You should have greater faith. You should live a better life. And then you too can be smiley all the time. Now, neither of those extremes are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There are times that we need to hear messages of judgment. We are all broken, and we need to be reminded of that. But we also need to hear grace. And there are times to rejoice and to give thanks and to be happy. But we also need together to recognize that the world is broken. We need to recognize that God doesn't always fix everything for everybody right away. In this world, struggling is real. And even the most faithful person doesn't necessarily get a perfect life. And so those of us who teach, those of us who listen, we need to be able to deal with the whole range of human experience. And we need to bring the whole Bible to bear. We need to hear the messages of joy and grace and rejoicing and giving thanks. And we also need to hear the messages that we're sinners, that often God's people go through terribly difficult things that life is not always how we want it to be. We need to let the Bible challenge us, and we need to have the Bible speak grace to us. We need to have our words reflect God's word. And so when we listen to teachers, we need to listen if they're willing to grapple with everything the Bible has to say and really dig deep into the experiences that we have in this world, or if they're just picking and choosing the parts they like telling us half-truths to make us feel better or to get us to do what they want us to do. But then we also need to think about our own words. We need to think about the sort of things that we say. Do we show up sometimes and call Jesus, Lord, Lord, and yet have the rest of our lives not match up with that? Do the beliefs that we say that we have here on Sunday morning reflect the beliefs that we say that we have the rest of the week? Do we say one thing when we're in Christian mode and another thing when we're in work mode or family mode or relaxation mode? Does what we say in here match with what we say out there? And if what we say in here doesn't match with what we say out there, then our words are empty. And empty words are never enough. If we only call Jesus Lord, Lord, when it's convenient or easy or when we're scared and we need some help, then he isn't truly the Lord of our lives, is he? And I think that's the challenge of verse 21. Those people who come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, are patronizing him. They haven't really been following him deep, deep down. It's just words without meaning. And words by themselves are never enough. We do need to confess that Jesus is Lord. We need to have the right words. 
but we also need to have the right lives. Our beliefs need to matter. Our words need to lead to works. So let's talk about our fourth point for today, about our works, about what we're doing. And first, let's think about this in terms of discerning true and false teachers. Jesus tells us that we'll be able to tell who a false prophet is by the fruit in their life. And this is true in terms of the words that people speak, but it's also true in terms of their actions. Every generation has a number of spiritual leaders who look like they've got it all together right up to the point that everything falls apart. People who have great messages and do great things and then all of a sudden it turns out that they've been living a false life for years or decades. It's really easy to think of all the ways that teachers' lives go wrong. So when we look at a leader, when we look at a teacher, we need to ask some questions. Do these people misuse power and resources? Do they bully people? Do they let themselves be idolized? Do they focus on Jesus Or do they focus on themselves? Do they build God's kingdom? Or do they build their own brand? Do they put themselves under the authority of Jesus and under the authority of the church? Or are they the next incarnation of the Lone Ranger? People can be fake for a while. Teachers can get away with telling falsehoods for a while with not having their words and their works line up. But over time, they always show their true colors. People can be fake for a while, but not forever. And that's true for everyone, not just for teachers. C.S. Lewis has this book called The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, there's a senior demon who writes letters of advice to a junior demon, to someone who's in charge of tempting one particular person. And at one point in that book, the senior demon brags about how he once had a client, a patient of his who he had so well in hand that the man would sit and pray for his family for a couple hours straight and desperately plead with the Lord for their souls. But if his family interrupted his prayer time, he would get up and he would scream at them and curse them out and beat them up because they'd interrupted his prayer time. The man's words were one thing, but his works were another. What we do shows the true condition of our hearts. Now, hopefully none of us have blind spots that are that huge and glaring. But at the same time, none of us are immune to this. All of us have failings. And so we need to watch out. We need to really examine ourselves. And this self-examination, this really taking an honest inventory of what our lives say about us is tremendously hard but we need to check up on ourselves because we all tend to get spiritually unfit it's a helpful exercise to think about how a stranger who followed you around the week for a week would describe you or to think about what your family or friends or co-workers would say if they knew that you wouldn't hear what they really thought of you it's even a helpful exercise though it's a terrifying one to ask some people in your life What is my life really like? What am I really like? What do I really need to work on? That is a terribly, terribly painful thing to do. But it's better to have some pain now than to spend our whole lives deceiving ourselves. 
we need to discern what kind of fruit we're bearing. And that'll tell us something about what kind of people we are and what kind of people we're becoming. But even if we do good works, that isn't enough. We need to do good, but by itself, our works can never be enough. Those people who came and told Jesus in verse 22 that they'd done all these great things, it seemed like they were thinking that those great things were their ticket into God's kingdom. And that didn't work. We aren't saved by our works. If you think you're okay because you do enough good stuff, well, you're back to salvation by works. You do enough, you get by. And it's pretty clear here that doing good works is not enough. It's not enough. And so we need to ask, what is enough? What's the next thing? If we go past our words and our works, what's left to talk about? And what's left to talk about this morning is our worship. Our worship. What do we really value? Now, worship can mean a lot of things. I'm using that word for this point for a couple reasons. One was that I had four W's and I needed a fifth W. You gotta be consistent. So worship is what it is for this morning. But there's a deeper reason there too. One of the meanings of worship is to ascribe worth to or to give value to. What we really value, what we really hold in our hearts, that's what we worship. And so when we reflect on really following Jesus or not, maybe the most important question we can ask is where our hearts are. What are the things that we really value? What do we really worship? I've done a little bit of work with addicts over the years. Nothing real significant. A few weeks here, a couple hours there. No, no big thing. I'm no expert. But I've noticed a pattern with almost every addicted person who I've gotten to know. Maybe they'll say they want to kick the addiction. Maybe they'll say they want to get back with their family. They want to hold down a job. They want to get off the streets. They want to be well. But for most addicts, what they really, really want is more of the thing they're addicted to. For a while, they can get their words and their works lined up and pointing in the right direction. But almost all the time, almost all the time, if someone is really addicted, even if they run away from that addiction over and over and over again, their hearts keep pulling them back. Even if they say they hate their addiction, their hearts are too tied up to it to give it up. To deal with addiction, there's some things you can do. You can help people to develop better self-talk so that they don't get themselves in situations. You can help people develop strategies and try to help them get new patterns of behavior. But none of that really works. To really help someone deal with addiction, you've got to somehow connect with the heart of that person. It's at the heart level that change really happens. And until you've dealt with the attachments of the heart and with what that person really, really values most deeply, you aren't going to get anywhere. To deal with addiction, you have to get at a person's heart. And so when we think about being true or false followers of Jesus, what we really have to do is get to the heart. At the end of this passage, Jesus tells those people who come to him to get away from him because he never knew them. 
And that knowing is a relational thing. It's not just information or data. It's a relationship. It's a connection. It's a heart-level commitment. Those people's hearts weren't in the right place. Their words and their works were some of the time, but their heart never was. And it's our hearts that really define us. And it's our hearts that determine the value of what we say and what we do. When Jesus, quote, when Jesus tells the people to depart from him at the end of that passage, he's quoting directly from Psalm 6. And Psalm 6 is a prayer for God to accept his people and to send his enemies away. A prayer for God to accept his people and send his enemies away. And so what Jesus tells us will happen at the end of days is that he will accept his people and he will send his enemies away. So the most important question you can ever ask yourself is where's your heart? Do you know Jesus? Do you listen to what he says? Do you obey what he commands? Do you believe, confess, and follow him? Is Jesus really the thing, the person that you value the most? What is your heart's deepest commitment and deepest value? Now, this text gives us a number of ways to diagnose whether people, other people, and ourselves are true or false followers of Jesus. But there's a deeper level of grace here beneath the diagnostics. The truth is that good trees can't bear bad fruit, and bad trees can't bear good fruit. So we can recognize good and bad trees in that way. But we still have to ask, who makes the tree good or bad? Who makes the tree good? And it's the Lord. It's the Lord who makes trees good. It's the Lord who makes us his sheep. At the deepest level of our lives, it is the Lord who changes our hearts. The fundamental message of the gospel is that the Lord loves us enough to claim us and to transform us. And so we have to work. We have to say the right things But ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, how has God been at work? How has the Lord provided for the salvation of his people? How has the Lord transformed your heart? And even if you're willing to really ask those questions, that's a sign that God has been at work in your heart. God forms our hearts before we do anything. And so we ask those diagnostic questions, but even in asking those questions, We can be encouraged that we would only want to follow God if he was at work already to make us follow him. It all comes back to God's work. God begins this whole process and we respond. If we truly belong to Jesus, our worship, our works, our words will all reflect that because God has been at work in us to make that true. By the grace of God, may that be true for all of us that we may truly know Jesus as our Lord and Savior.